Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again this week. Thank you for joining us again this week as we continue our study on the book of Romans. And this will be the fourth segment that we have filmed on the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Last week we got really deep in this chapter and I felt like I needed to come back and uh, and just kind of build some more on some of the things that we were opening. Because these to me are powerful keys that open the Scripture all the way through it. What we don't realize is that God is a consistent God who keeps covenant, whatever covenant He's in. And we see down through history where there were several, God made a covenant with Adam, God made a covenant with Abraham, God made a covenant uh, with Israel and Moses' covenant, and now we come into the new and better covenant. So God always honors His Word above His name, and He keeps whatever His end of the covenant bargain is. And some of the things that I think we see in the Old Testament and even fulfilled in the book of Revelation are the fact not necessarily that God wanted to bring evils upon people, uh, but that He kept His end of the covenant bargain even when it was not what He wanted to do because He honors His Word above His name. In other words, I don't think God really wants to bring wrath on anybody. But I think that the, the issue is that the covenant curses of the book of Deuteronomy were called on by the people, and they, they call heaven and earth to witness against them. And they called God together to be their covenant partner, to not only be their covenant partner, but to be their punisher if they did not keep the words of this covenant. So we come into the New Testament and we find out that God is wanting to give us a new and better covenant. That's what the book of Romans is about. And so as I have shared with you in prior segments, the first three chapters of the book of Romans are God showing the diagnosis of the human condition, and that is by the time you get to Romans 3, He has indicted everything and everybody, and He says there's none righteous, not even one. And then He begins to declare there's another righteousness that's available that can come only by faith. Then He goes into the story of Abraham. And he talks about Abraham believed God. God counted it to him for righteousness. And then he comes into Romans 5 and talks about we've been saved from wrath because Romans 1, 2, and 3, he concludes all under sin so he can have mercy on all. And this is probably one of the most mutilated and half-quoted scriptures. It says, for the goodness of God leads us to repentance. That's true. But the very next verse says, But after the hardness and impenitent heart, you treasure up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. And in tribulation and, and uh, um, trials come to them who uh, don't continue in that. So he, it looks like he's making the statement of wrath on that particular chapter, saying the goodness of God leads you to repentance, and most people will quote that, but they don't quote the next one that says, but after the hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. So everybody was under the wrath of God, but Romans 5 then comes in and tells us that we've been saved from wrath, and that not only have we been saved, I like how the Message Bible says, and here it is in a nutshell, 
One man got us in all this trouble, sin and death, and another man got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. So we've not only been saved from wrath, but we've been saved as believers to be a, a part of a life. I didn't just get you out of trouble, I got you into a life. And then he starts, should we sin so grace can about God forbid? How can we who are dead to sin live any longer again? And he begins to build this whole idea of righteousness by faith and what comes that when you become a believer and you are believing into righteousness, then what you believe is what you act on because right living can only come by right believing. So if you believe you're righteous, you're going to be righteous. And so you come on down through here. Now he's challenging Israel, who's about to miss the righteousness, which is by faith. As we come into the 10th chapter, or we come into the latter part of the ninth chapter, it said, why then? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Is it written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. And then he comes into Romans 10 and says, Brother, my heart's desire in Israel, for Israel is that they might be saved, because I bear them witness that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, uh, have, go about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Moses wrote about the righteousness of the law, that a man who does these things will live in them. And then he goes on and he quotes what Paul does here in Romans uh, Romans, the 10th chapter, as he says, But the righteousness of faith speaks like this, Say not in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. What we don't realize is that when Paul is quoting this verse, uh, who will he, the righteousness of faith that speaks on this way, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. That Paul is quoting Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number, let me get it for you here, Deuteronomy chapter number 30, verse 11, For this commandment which I command you this day is not hidden from you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you would say, who will go up to heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. In the book of Deuteronomy, they are going up to heaven to bring the words of this law to us that we may hear it and do it. But in the book of Romans, Christ ascended up into heaven and fulfilled it. In other words, Christ was the end of the law. So what the indictment here in Deuteronomy 10 is, is somebody's got to go get these rules and bring them to us that we can hear it and do it. Of course, we know the end of that is Israel did not attain to that righteousness, and that's what he's indicting them for in Romans 10, 9, 11. All through here is he's saying to them, his own countrymen, you're about to miss the promise of the days of heaven on earth that come in Deuteronomy chapter 10 because you're trying to get it on the basis of your own works of righteousness and have not submitted yourself to the righteousness of God because we're not ascending to heaven to bring the words of this law to you that we may hear it and do it. Jesus ascended up into heaven and had accomplished and kept every jot and tittle of the law. Then he descended into the deep, the abyss, and was delivered for our offenses, but raised for our justification. So who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring the words of this law to us, Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 30, 
said, neither is it beyond the sea. The word sea here is the same word that we translate abyss in Romans, the 10th chapter. Or who will, neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, who go over the sea for us, bring to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is nigh thee in your mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. In Deuteronomy, the word that's in their mouth is the words of this law that they may hear and do it. In the book of Romans, Paul replaces that with the word that's in our mouth is the word of faith that we preach, which is if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what we're showing you is that God is redeeming them from the curse of the law and the wrath that they are destined for under an old covenant paradigm. Now let me just say so this to you. In the book of Revelation then, in chapter 20, there is a great chain that binds the devil. And this devil is cast into a bottomless abyss. Same Greek word as abyss here in Romans 10. Here's what I submit to you. I think what binds the devil is a revelation of the death, burial, and Je- of Jesus, death, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the great chain that defeats the enemy because his only weapon in Colossians chapter 2 is the handwriting of ordinance that's against us, and Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He spoiled them, took the weapon of condemnation out of his hands. But every time we get back up and preach a performance-based message that's based on trying to, even with the zeal of God, to try to establish their own righteousness on the basis of works, ends up putting the weapon right back into the hand of the enemy. But the Scripture said that Jesus has destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. In other words, his resurrection. He went down into the abyss. He went down into death. He went down into the curses of the law and rose from the dead to take the weapon and power of him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Because with resurrection power, he trumped every evil force from the Romans to the devil to to the law, to every curse that this book had to offer. Now let me tell you that I believe, and because I believe in a lot of fulfilled eschatology, the book of Revelation is not about what God is going to do in our future for the most part. I think there are some things in Revelation 21, 22 that are futuristic, past, present, and future, but I believe the curses of this book are not written to us in the 21st century under the New Covenant. They were written to a church in transition under an Old Covenant, and they are the curses of the book of Deuteronomy. You say, well, why do you believe that? Because, let's read this. We're going to see some things about the bottom of the spit here in just a moment I think are just incredible. In Deuteronomy, here's some of the curses of the book. He said, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far and from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flight, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar that's going to be uh, as swift as the eagle. I don't think it's an accident that in Matthew 24, when Jesus is prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, not one stone will be left upon another. They said, where, Lord? He said, wherever the carcass is, that's where the eagles would be gathered together. Deuteronomy 30 says they've come like the swiftness of the eagle. It is a curse that's coming upon those who are under this covenant, who are not receiving their redemption from it. I think it's incredible that when Ezekiel you know, he sees the uh, Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3, he sees a four-faced living creature. 
He sees a little book written within and without. He tells Ezekiel, eat the book. It's sweet in your mouth, bitter in your belly. And he says, in this little book are lamentations, mourning, and woe. When you come to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, 5, and 6, it is almost a repeat of the book of Ezekiel. You see the same throne room, the same color of amber, the same four-faced living creature, the same little book, except God tells John, the revelator, to eat this book because in this little book, he said, it'll be sweet to your mouth, bitter to your belly, but in this book was lamentation, mourning, and woe. But when you see the Lamb opening the seals of this book in Revelation 5 and 6, He's opening this book because to the apostate Israel who have not received the righteousness by faith, they are about to receive lamentation, mourning, and woe. He came to redeem them from the curse of the law, but they are refusing to gather under His feathers and under His wings of mercy. And so they're about, their house is about to be left unto them desolate. But they don't only sing the song of Moses there. They don't only sing in Revelation 5 and 6, when he opens the book, that is in it lamentation, mourning, and woe. And you see the plagues about to be poured out. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy and see these plagues that are about to be poured out, they are the curses of the book of Deuteronomy that cannot happen in the future again and again because we are not under the law anymore. But what you see is God keeping His end of the covenant bargain to apostate Israel because they are refusing the redemption of the blood of this Lamb, and they are still trying to uh, worship other gods, and they're committing fornication with the, the nations of the earth and the Romans, and on and on it goes. But what I want you to see is that in Romans chapter, or no, not, not Romans, but in Revelation chapter 5 and 6, they not only sang, see the morning lamentation and, war, and woe, but I love this, they sang as it were a new song singing, Thou hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. So the book of Revelation, to me, is first of all, God keeping His end of the covenant bargain to bring the curses, but to believers, the book of Revelation is about what you've been redeemed from, because God has not appointed us to wrath, but to enjoy salvation. And when they sang a new song, then He said, I heard every creature in heaven earth and under the earth. In other words, they were not just included the Jews, but now the Jews and the Gentiles had access to sing the song of redemption that the Lamb has redeemed us to God by His blood out of every nation and kindred and tongue. So as you see these curses unfold, I have a whole study where I have gone through the curses of the book of Deuteronomy. Say, here's the curse given, and Deuteronomy, here's the curse fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Now let me just show you this because I think this is important also. In Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, verse 14 through 29, it says, Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with them, him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here this day. For you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, how we came through the nations which you passed by. And you have seen the abominations and their idols, the wood, stone, silver, and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, and go serve other gods. And these nations, lest there should be among you the root of bareth gall and wormwood. 
you see in the book of Revelation, uh, a star cast in the earth and wormwood is released. So that God fulfilling His end of the covenant bargain to bring upon them all the curses of Egypt. And when you read the book of Revelation, you think, well, my Lord, I, I think I remember seeing this in the book of Exodus. The reason you saw it in the book of Exodus is because God was trying to show you that His redemption from these curses is going to be the same as it was in the land of Egypt. You need to put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of your house so that all of these plagues is what you've been redeemed from. But if you didn't put blood on the doorpost of the house, then you stayed right there in Egypt and you got all the same curses that they got. But God made a difference between us and them. And in the new covenant, what we see is that it's a better covenant that has no curse in it. We are not under the curse of the law, but when you see the book of Revelation, it is at the end of the old covenant while there is an overlap of two covenants. One covenant is fading away according to the book of Hebrews, and the new covenant is coming on the scene, and with the destruction of the temple was the final nail in the coffin that no more animal sacrifices no more exclusive covenant with Israel. According to the book of Daniel, the power of the holy people was finally broken, and now the Gentiles are included. It's not an exclusive covenant, but it's God all in all. It is God, both the God of the Jew and of the Gentile. And that's what Paul is preaching here, even in Romans 10, is they lost it, but God was about to provoke them by a nation that would bring forth the fruit of it, and that is the Gentiles, that He would bring upon them, according to the curses of Deuteronomy, armies that would come as swift as an eagle and would begin to bring them to wormwood. And then it goes on to say, and it shall come to pass, this is verse 19, when he hears the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, to add drunkenness to the, and thir- to the thirst. Here again, he's quoting in the New Testament, Paul says when they say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction as a woman in travail. God keeping His end of the covenant bargain for those who are resisting to receive the mercy. Then the Lord will not spare him, but then in the anger of the Lord and His jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out His name under heaven. Hence the Scripture that if you believe, your name will not be blotted out, but whoever's name was written in the book of life was the ones who are going to receive salvation. So these are people who are receiving the curses of the law in the book of Revelation, the rebellious nations who worship, who refuse to not worship, as you see in the book of Revelation, the gods of gold and silver and all of these false gods, and Israel who was committing adultery and harlotry with the nations of the earth. He goes on to say, The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord is jealousy shall smoke against him. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord will blot his name out from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate unto him out uh, evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law, so that the generation to come of your children shall rise up after you. The stranger shall come from a far land and shall say, When they see the plague of that land, sickness which the Lord has laid upon it. The whole land thereof is in brimstone and salt and burning. Does that ring a bell to you from the book of Revelation? You see the city being destroyed and fire and brimstone fall from heaven just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wasn't it Jesus who said, if the people of Sodom had saw the miracles that you saw speaking to natural Israel, They would have repented long ago, and it would be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than it would be for Israel. Here's God keeping His end of the covenant of bargain again to give them brimstone, salt, and burning. 
He said that it is not sown, nor beareth any grass, groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and His wrath. Even all nations shall say, Wherefore has the Lord done this unto this land? What meaneth the heat of His anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of their God, of the Lord God of their fathers, which He made with them, when He brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods, and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not, and whom, they had not, and whom He had not given unto them. The anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation, and cast them into another land, as it is this day. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the but things which are revealed belong unto us and our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. And so he, they, what he, God is doing is bringing again all the curses of the book of Deuteronomy in the book of Revelation to these Jews that Paul is writing to in Romans 10, who are refusing to receive Christ, who was the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, so that they would be saved from the wrath that was about to come. And then I want you to see this. This is so powerful to me, because this really helps me really give you something to hang this on in the book of Revelation. Here's, here's God speaking to Moses. This is Deuteronomy 31, 16-30. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go whoring after other gods, of the strangers of the land, whether they go to among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. God's telling him what's going to happen. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. Many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, and in that day they are turned unto other gods. Now therefore write this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. It's the song of Moses. For when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear unto their fathers, that flows with milk and honey, they shall have eaten and filled themselves, wax and fat, then they will turn unto other gods and serve them, and provoke me in my, in my covenant. And it shall come to pass, when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. For I know their imaginations which they go about even now, before I have brought them into the land which I swear." Moses therefore wrote this song in the same day, and taught it to the children of Israel. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge, saying, Be strong, and be of good courage, that thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land, which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. And it came to pass, when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in the book, until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites to spare the ark of the covenant, saying, Take this book of the law, put it inside of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be for a witness against thee. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, you have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. Gather unto me all the elders of tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt your ways and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger, though the work through the work of your hands. And Moses spake in the ears of the congregation all the words of this song until they were ended. He gave them that song. He says, listen, I want you to teach them the song of Moses so that 
when all of these curses of Deuteronomy come upon them, you're going to know that it's me keeping these words, because this is what's going to happen in the latter days. Now let me tell you that the latter days, and I don't have time to develop this in this segment, the latter days are not the latter days of this covenant, it was the last days of the old covenant when Paul said in Hebrews, God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. It was the last days of the old covenant, and God was trying to speak to Israel in the book of Hebrews. He warns them. He says, if you go back and you miss this mark of the new covenant on purpose, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of judgment. It happened within, I believe it was three and a half to four or five years of the book of Hebrews, that all the curses of Deuteronomy came upon them. But watch this. In Revelation chapter 15, Verse 1 through 3, it says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the, watch this, the last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's the last plagues, the last time God will ever do it. In them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. What I'm showing you is, the book of Revelation was God keeping His end of the covenant bargain at the end of the old covenant age to bring upon Israel all the curses of the book. And if, that, if this song that Moses taught them to sing throughout all of their generations, so that every generation knew that this was an indictment of a song that God would bring upon them, nations that would come up out of the abyss, out of the sea, the Romans would come, the disasters would partake them, all the curses of Deuteronomy would come upon them, Read the curses of Deuteronomy and then read the book of Revelation. But what I love about this is, God kept His end of the covenant bargain. They sang the song of Moses, which meant this is a terrible day for the rebellious apostate people, because the day of the Lord is great and terrible. For those who are apostate, it was terrible. For us who are believers, it's the great day, because they didn't just sing the song of Moses. They sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Well, what was the song of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 5 and 6? The song of the Lamb was, Thou hast redeemed us. So when Paul was indicting these natural Israels in Romans, and he said, I, all day long I held out my hands to a people. And well did Isaiah say, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let me tell you something. The arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report. What report is that? The report of Isaiah 15, or Isaiah 53. You was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by whose stripes we are healed. And then he opens Isaiah 54 by saying, for this is as the waters of Noah to me. In other words, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was like the waters of Noah. You were inside of the thing that the judgment fell on so that from now on, God says, I'm not, I will never be wroth, nor will I be angry with you again. They were the last plagues. They were fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Now God is saying, whosoever will can come into the covenants of promise. Who will believe that report? Well, we finished the book of Romans chapter 10. I appreciate you. If you'd like to sow a seed in the ministry, just a few seconds left, go to our website. You can give via credit card or our debit card through our PayPal portal. You can send a check or money order to the address on the screen, or you can call the number 
on the screen. But we do need your help, so do it today. God bless you, and thank you for joining us again this week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.